Welcome to Catholic Conversations. This is your host, Adrian Fonseca. I'm here with my friend, Austin Falcon, and uh, we're going to talk about his uh, journey away from the Catholic faith. And so my friend Austin, he, we went to high school together and um, he left the faith at some point between high school and today. I'm not really familiar with uh, his story of how, where he's gone, and, uh, but I thought it would be interesting to hear about, uh, for have people who are Catholics to know um, about where other people are coming from and why they left and where they're at today. And so um, Austin was happy to uh, come on and talk about his experience. And we're gonna have a little discussion uh, about this and see where, see where it goes. So hi, Austin. How's it going? So Austin, um, tell me about your first experience with uh, Catholicism. You were a cradle Catholic, correct? Yeah. So actually um, I mean, we were born and raised in the Catholic church. We, uh, I mean, we went every Sunday when I was in elementary school and, and we, we kind of lived that life, but it wasn't until high school when I started going to St. Thomas high school that, uh, I actually started actually getting into mass and trying to figure out, you know, like, uh, the girl from your last interview, what was her name? I'm sorry. The girl from your last interview, what, what was her oh, name? Oh, uh, Emily Alcaraz. Emily. Yeah. Okay. So Emily said something that I thought was pretty funny. She said she didn't know how to Catholic. Yeah. <laughs> and I thought, I thought that was great because it, it was so true. You know, I, I went to Sunday school. We went to, to church on Sundays, and, you know, really growing up, but it wasn't until high school whenever I started figuring out like, you know, why am I kneeling right now? Why, why am I doing this? Why am I doing that? And, and it was really transformational in, in that aspect. I was kind of being opened up to these different different reasonings behind everything in the Catholic Church. Um, but it was at that same time whenever I was actually learning the theology and why we were doing stuff. So I was getting the reasonings for things. And I think it was at that time that I kind of just started pushing away from the church because it, it wasn't on par with what I was expecting. Yeah, that's very interesting because whenever you were, uh, we were talking about this um, in person last time, we, I was really, I was like, that's so strange because usually it's the other way around. People don't start learning about all these things and then they leave the church, but you were actually learning uh, the reasons for the faith and re learning about uh, why you're, uh, why you're Catholic and then you chose to leave. So um, when you left St. Thomas high school, uh, where were you in your faith? So actually, I think when I left, I was at the peak of my faith, which sounds kind of funny to say I was at a Catholic high school and I'd reached the peak of my faith or, or not my faith. I don't want to say in that point because I still believe in my Catholic faith. Let's clarify that. I was at the peak of my Catholic faith and I decided to leave and go back to a public school. So I, I think I've had this conversation with other people and, and they're you know, immediate accusation was, well, that's why you left being around Catholic peers and being around the church and, and you went to a public school, which is clearly disgusting and <laughs> surrounded by mess. And so now I would argue that some Catholic schools are uh, more secular than some public schools. <laughs> <laughs> that's absolutely, absolutely true as well. But um, I don't know. I guess when I left or when I was planning on leaving, I was kind of already having these thoughts about, you know, is this really suiting for me? Is this really what's what's calling my life and stuff like that? And while, you know, 
I think people do have this sense that, you know, or some Catholics believe that, you know, you have to be Catholic and stuff. That's how you get saved or, or what have you. And, and I've just never, I've never really dived into that. I've never really drank that juice <laughs> to, to say, I, I believe that you, if you're a Christian, you believe God and you live according to his will, regardless, uh, you're, you're going to be all right. So I guess to me, I didn't have the desire to deal with the structure and to deal with the rules and to deal with the, all, all these other things, really the people also of the Catholic church. So, so what was the, where, where point did you, would you uh, see that shift where you were like, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to church anymore. Uh, well, I'm not going to Catholic church anymore. Well, to be honest, I, I'd never had a, a specific point. I never said, you know what, I'm not coming back to a Catholic church. And I still haven't said that there's, Absolutely times where I'm like, hey, you know, let's think about this. Let's go here. Let's go do that or whatever. Um, but I think once I actually experienced another church, I went to a Baptist church for the first time, I think two years ago I went and went to a Baptist church and uh, it felt more like what I was looking for. It felt more homey. It felt more uh, um, personal to me. And so I went to the Baptist church. I liked it. It it still wasn't amazing. Um, And then we just kept bouncing around from church to church until we found something that stuck. So would you consider yourself uh, non-denominational or where would you, where would you uh, identify yourself? I think non-denominational is probably most accurate. Um, You know, just because I'm simply a Christian, you know, I I believe in Christ. I believe in God and I I believe in the Bible and what it says, but I, I can't say that I can, necessarily identify with anything else okay and the and out of curiosity how was your uh what is your opinion on things like the rosary and our lady things like that has that shifted as well or did you like retain that um so the truth is i I never really practiced like that i never prayed the rosary all that often or Uh as often as i should have um to be honest but i still think they're powerful I still think they hold weight. I think any prayer holds weight. You know, it doesn't matter if if you're praying the rosary or if you're at mass or you're, you know, any of these things are still going to hold as much weight as before. I just personally don't feel that it's necessary for me at all times, if that makes sense. Okay. So then um, the... So what disagreements did you have with the church that made you want to leave or what, what was it just, was it just the atmosphere? What was it? Yeah, I would, I would pinpoint more so the atmosphere and the people and the Catholic people and and please (laughs) don't take this the wrong way, but, but they do naturally. I think Catholic people have this, it's not entitlement and it's not a sense of being better, but they, they just have, you know, this, Man, I don't even know how to describe it. It, it, They they just do act like they're better in in a sense, or at least I got that. Mm -hmm. Uh, um, And I know that's not true of everyone because definitely, I mean, I've spent time with you and from uh, teachers that I had at St. Thomas. I know that's not true of everyone, but going to a church full of people and the majority I felt were that way, I just couldn't relate. Okay, I see. And um, so the... 
I want to uh, talk about the idea because you were like some Catholics say that there is uh, that if you're not Catholic, that you won't be saved. And uh, that actually is a teaching of the church. It's uh, the term is extra ecclesiam no lusalus, which means uh, outside of the church, there's no salvation. Um, and that was the teaching from the early church fathers. Um, a lot of the church fathers gave the, the symbolism of like an ark. Like if you're the church is like the ark from Noah. And if you're not on the ark, then you're not going to be saved. Um, so that was the teaching of the church. Um, and then more recently, the church has gone and fleshed that out more. And it's kind of developed into the point where it says that um, the salvation, there's no salvation outside the church, um, but God can act outside of his established means. So God can do whatever he wants. Obviously, he's God. Um, obviously, he can't contradict himself, but that's a different topic. But yeah, so God can act outside of uh, his established means. And so God could save someone else. But the way we know to be saved is in the Catholic church. And so we should seek that all people uh, are in the ark, um, the saved in the bark of the church. Mm-hmm. And so that's the uh, the official teaching of the church. Right. So one thing I, I take issue with in, in, in that is at what point or when did the church in and of itself be defined as the Catholic church? So to my understanding, whenever I was in my theology classes and, and, high school and college at University of St. Thomas was that, you know, church is a community. It's a people of believers. Yeah, right. So uh, I guess you'd have to make a distinction between uh, what you mean by the word church, um, because yes, the church is made up of the people, uh, but then there's the established church, um, the foundation, uh, which we would say was built on Peter, um, and that is the Catholic Church. And so you have the Catholic Church as an organization, the Catholic Church as a uh, divine, divinely instituted organization, but then you have the people of the church, and those people are the church. And so you have uh, the two senses of the church. So it's both the people and the establishment. Um, and so that's why our Lord said that the gates of hell will never prevail against it because he's referring to the established church. So there's it's a both and. Right. And so I understand that, but it would be crazy to think that all forms of Christianity are not derived from the Catholic church. Right. Right. So if that's the case, if I go to a non-denominational church, what's different between the people that I'm celebrating with and the people you celebrate with on Sunday? In, in essence, it's nothing besides the technicalities of the practice. Right. So I see what you mean. Um, and so my what I would say is the it would be the sacraments. Okay. And so the seven sacraments, uh, which are present and other churches that are not the mm-hmm. Catholic church. Uh, for instance, the Greek Orthodox church has the seven sacraments and there are actually valid seven sacraments. They, we are not in communion with the Greek mm-hmm. Orthodox church because they split from us. But when they split from us, they uh, retained the orders and they retained the right. And so their bishops are valid bishops and hold the office and they have the authority to distribute the uh, sacraments. Whereas the Protestant denominations, uh, Baptists, Lutherans, Calvinists, they split, but they didn't retain the orders because uh, they didn't take bishops with them. So they didn't retain those orders. And then Martin Luther, Calvin, Zwingli, all those guys, they actually um, abolished most of the sacraments. And so most Protestants, not all, but most Protestants re- uh, will have one or two sacraments, one being baptism. Right. That's pretty much all across the board. Mm-hmm. And then two, some will say that communion is a sacrament, but they don't understand communion the same way that the Catholic church does. Right. Um, and so that's what I would say with the big differences and that mm-hmm. seven sacraments, which were set up by Christ, um, for instituted for by Christ to give grace. Right. And so 
while I, I agree with that and I, I understand clearly that that's truth, um, I wouldn't necessarily say that that still disqualifies them from being part of the church. Well, okay. So the language that the, that the church uses is they are separated brethren. Mm-hmm. And so they are still Christians and we recognize them as Christians. Uh, we're just saying that they're not in the fullness of truth and that we would love for everyone to be in the fullness of truth. And it's only in the fullness of truth that you can know that someone is saved. Okay. But to me, in my understanding of the kind of God I believe in, and, and what I'm sure you believe as well, is that uh, you know we believe in a God that's omniscient, omnipotent, omnibenevolent. Then how could he say no to someone who's doing what they know to be best or what they assume to know best? Right. So. so- so someone that goes to a non-denominational church mm-hmm. that grew up in one, mm-hmm. you know, I know they're relatively new um, as far as church history goes and stuff right. like that. But some a, a kid that grows up in that church and lives their life all the way through that church and they still live a, a morally good life. They still, you know, they read their Bible, they pray as often as they should or as often as they can and they go to church every Sunday. Why does that not guarantee them or why should we believe that that does not guarantee them? Right. So that's a great question. So I would say the the argument isn't that everyone else uh, is going to hell for sure. Um, we just don't know what's going to happen. We hope and we pray that people outside of the church will be saved. Um, so there's a St. Dominic. I talk about St. Dominic a lot because uh, he's really the person that I'm modeling my life after. And uh, the reason why that I do that I want people to become Catholic, he would stay up at night um, on the floor crying, weeping and saying, what will happen of poor sinners? Um, because he believed that the church was the institution founded by Christ in order to uh, bring people to heaven. And so during St. Dominic's time, the Albigensian heresy was being uh, brought up. And so people were, um, these heresies always pop up throughout uh, the Christian history. And uh, I would say that the Protestant church, um, all denominations are varying degrees of heresy, even though because they disagree with the church on different things. So they are holding different heretical views. And so it has always been a constant teaching of the church that heretics, uh, people who, uh, well, I I won't say heretics because being a heretic, you have to be declared a heretic, but people who hold things that are heretical, um, it's less likely that they're going to get to heaven because they are not in the fullness of truth. So that's why it is the mission of the church. That's why Christ gave the mission in Matthew to go out, preach the gospel to all nations, baptizing the name of the father, son and the Holy spirit and teaching them all that I have commanded you. Uh, Because that is the mission. That is the set up means uh, to bring about salvation. And so that's what the goal is. That's what we have to try to do. And so it it is a hard saying. um, And just like what Christ said uh, in John, uh, not Christ, the people in John were saying, uh, who can accept this? Uh, This is a hard saying who can accept this and uh, many of them left him so yeah it is a hard saying and it's difficult to try to uh, wrap our minds about to say um, how can God do this but we always forget that I mean none of us are just no not one and so none of us deserve heaven right absolutely and 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 I guess I, I I struggled with this idea of it mostly just because First off, whenever I was in the church and growing up and, and even, you know, my first couple of years at, at St. Thomas, um, this wasn't the conversation I was having with people. Uh-huh. The, the conversation went vastly different that Catholicism was the only way and and that, you know, this is how you had to live your life to to be saved in essence. So I, I think just 
just the way it was spoken to me was vastly different. But at the same time, I still can't can't wrap my mind around a, a, a God that would say you're not guaranteed salvation just because you didn't follow these exact rules. Mm-hmm. I, I can't wrap my mind around that. And, and so for me coming up in the Catholic church and deciding to go away, I could see how like that pushes me further away from salvation, but I can't see how someone who did not come up in the Catholic church who lived their life better than me, who lived their life better than a lot of Catholics mm-hmm. could not be guaranteed salvation because they yeah. are not mm-hmm. Catholic. That makes sense. I understand what you're saying. The, and there is a document. Um, what is the document? It might be Lumen Gentium. It's a Vatican council II um, document that's talked about that exact topic. And the, the, what the language they used was that, for those with no, uh, to no fault of their own were never exposed to the truths of the church. Um, and they live according to their conscience to the best of their ability and responding to the grace that God has given to them in their lives, um, that we have a hope that they can be saved as well. Um, and so we, we do hold, uh, according to Vatican two, that, uh, people that are outside the church and have, uh, and are ignorant of the faith, uh, not ignorant as in like being dumb, but ignorant, right. like what the word means, like not being, Lacking knowledge, right, yeah. lacking knowledge. And so if they were never exposed to the truths of the church, um, and so they never denied the truths of the church. And that's why I was making a distinction mm-hmm. between a heretic. Right, right. Someone, Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because uh, someone who is a heretic, mm-hmm. that means they knew the truth. They were like, nope, not right, going to believe it. So that's um, the, so yeah, so that's the teaching. Um, and so we, but we know that that we can be more certain of someone's salvation if they are in the church. So we want everyone to be in the church because outside the church, we're like, well, I mean, if you're ignorant of the faith, I mean, if you're responding to God's grace in your life and you're doing everything to the best of your ability, well, then we have a hope that you can be saved. Um, but we want to be sure that you're going to be saved. So we want you to be into the church because the church is the only way that God has set up. Now God can act outside of that. Mm-hmm. And we hope that that happens, but this is the only way that he has actually set up everywhere else. It's, it's going to be extra. It'll be outside of the normal means. Um, and so we're like saying like a, would a good Buddhist get to heaven? Well, we don't know. Right. And we can hope that he will, if he's responding to God's grace in his life, is he's doing the best that he can. And he's never been exposed to the truth of the faith. Then we hope that he might be saved, but we can't like say, well, he did the best he could. We, he's definitely going to be saved. We can't say that. Mm-hmm. And so that's why we should evangelize and bring people into the church. Yeah. Like I said, I, I can get behind that and I, I can say that that's probably the best argument I've heard for why you should encourage people to be part of the church. But I still have, I still have that mm-hmm. overwhelming feeling that, you know, that's just not the kind of God I believe in that says, you know, there's no guarantee for you. Mm-hmm. So for at least sticking with the Christian faith. So non-nominational Baptists, uh, um, Lutherans, all these people that still believe in Christ to say that they aren't guaranteed because they didn't follow the rules of the Catholic church seems to me a, a bit off putting from the God I believe in. Yeah, it is off putting. I mean, yeah, the, so I want to talk about one thing specifically and that's uh, the Eucharist mm-hmm. because, uh, John chapter six, Jesus said, for those who eat my flesh and drink my blood will have eternal life. And those who, those who do not eat my bread, eat my blood, eat my body and drink <laughs> my blood, um, shall not live in me. Um, well, I'm butchering the quote now. Um, I used to have it memorized, but now I'm mm-hmm. messing it up. Uh, but yeah, basically he says that you do not have salvation if you do not eat my body and drink my blood. And so, and being outside of the church, there is no Eucharist outside the church. 
And so that's, that would be, uh, what, what do you think about that? So I guess it would come down to saying like, how do you, how do you know there's no Eucharist outside of the church? Cause I know we, we have communion at my non-denominational church. I know there's been communion at other churches I visited as well. So I guess if you're going to limit it to the sacrament that has been uh, assigned to the Catholic church or, or, or created by the Catholic church, not created, but um, strictly followed by the Catholic church, mm-hmm. then yeah, no other church is going to have, uh, you know, the Eucharistic communion, but to say mm-hmm. that God cannot insert himself into these other so religions. The, say. So what is the belief in your non denominational church about the Eucharist? Pretty much the same thing. Pretty much that we are, you know, taking in Jesus at that moment. And that's clearly not as sophisticated as an answer you can provide, I'm sure. Well, but yeah. but it hasn't explained been explained differently than it was explained in the church. Right. So the so he, I'm just going to I don't know about your non denominational church. Uh, I can only speak about the Catholic church and then what Martin Luther and the reformers, quote unquote reformers, uh, say about it. Um, And so the Catholic church, the hold holds that um, in in the idea of transubstantiation, which is to say that the substance of uh, the bread and wine are changed or they're no longer bread and wine there. Mm -hmm. It is now the body, blood, soul and divinity of Jesus Christ. Um, And so we consume the body, blood, soul and divinity of Jesus Christ. Um, just as Christ commanded us and uh, Martin Luther holds a stranger view where he said that we have to have a consubstantiation where the, like Jesus is with the bread and wine, but the actual bread and wine is still bread and wine, but Jesus is there present in some mystical way. Um, and so that's not the same thing. So there's a totally different belief. And then further and further you have, um, the, some of the other reformers, I believe Zwingli, um, who is kind of the, the, what the reform tradition of the Protestants would hold, um, the, as their father of their uh, tradition. And he would hold uh, more of a uh, stranger view that was kind of undefined. And it seems like he believed in a, a reformed Protestant can uh, explain it better than I would, but they would say something along the lines of it's, it's symbolic of, and it's not truly the body blood of Jesus Christ, but it's a, a remembrance of. Um, and so the, and the fact of the matter is, is that the body, blood, soul, and divinity is present and it's not just present in the Roman Catholic church. It's also in the Melkite church, the Maronite church, the Ethiopian church, the Greek Orthodox church, uh, and the various other Orthodox churches because they hold a valid sacraments. They hold valid ordinations. And so only a priest can, uh, actually consecrate the host. And so someone who, uh, went to, I don't know, HBU and got their, um, bachelor's in uh, ministry and became a minister. He doesn't have that ordination. He doesn't have consecrated hands, and he doesn't have that op- apostolic secession where they have the authority of the apostles because the authority of the apostles were passed down by the laying on of hands as we see in acts of the apostles. And so the, those guys don't have that. So, so does that, so clearly you're not the one to say that that could never happen because like you said, God can insert himself or, or go, you know, outside of what he's promised or not promised or he can act outside of his established means. Right. right. Exactly. How you said earlier um if if that's the case why would he not insert himself into these ordained ministers if they're going to be providing communion to a church of people that believe in christ why would he not insert himself yeah that's a good question because he set up a normal means and he can act outside of that of course but the um but for him to 
even want to act outside of that, it would first the belief of the other uh, ministers is not even in accordance with uh, what was intended by Christ. And so those uh, that's already one barrier. And the other barrier is that if he was to act always outside of his church and do things like that, then there would uh, there'd be no reason for people to be Catholic. So there's he has his established means and this is the ordinary means and it would be it would be a rare case that he would act outside of his normal means otherwise it would not be a, the normal outside means outside normal yeah. means yeah no, um, i understand that but do you see how like that second point you just made is pretty much the entire premise of my argument is that you don't have to be Catholic to be saved. And that's my personal belief. And I understand yours and the doctrine of the church and stuff like that. But to me, I just can't see how, you know, a God that's all knowing, all loving, all powerful could ever turn away from, or not exactly turn away from, but, but forget about the people that still pray to him. Still- I wouldn't know. I don't know about forget, because um, he wouldn't forget anyone. Mm-hmm. And the belief is that God would supply the grace necessary to get to heaven always um, to every person. And so we, and he sends people into people's lives to uh, bring people to the church. That's why uh, people are sent out and missions to preach the gospel and bring people home to the Catholic church. Um, and so I wouldn't say that God would, would forget them. That's the whole point of the missionary mandate of the church is to bring people home um, and so, yeah, I, I agree that it is the, it's difficult to say that God, um, would allow someone to go to hell, but, um, I, yeah, I would, I would just say that Jesus said that most people will go to hell and that's, uh, it's unfortunate, but it's true. That's what he said. He said that, um, the gates, uh, the uh, road to hell is wide and many people travel on it and the road to heaven is narrow and few people travel on it. Um, and I, and I would argue that it's not that many people are running to hell. Most people are not running to hell. Most people just drift there. Um, they're not, they just indifferent and not, uh, knowing they just start drifting to hell. And, uh, but the people to go to heaven, it's much more difficult. And that's why we pray for people to, uh, be saved because people can be saved outside the normal means. But it's hard and it's difficult. And that's what we pray for. We pray for their conversion. We pray for the salvation of the souls of others. But yeah, um, what would it, what would it take for you to ever come back to the church? Oh, that's a, that's a good question. I, I don't know. Cause it, like I said, I still don't see myself as entirely separated from the church, which it, it may be different from your point of view. <laughs> you may, you may think I am because I haven't, I haven't, you know, uh, been to mass in a little while and stuff like that. But I, I still don't think like, I still relate myself to, to those things. I still defend the Catholic church whenever, uh, you know, and, and we talked about it in our, our last talk, whenever scandals come up or whenever things happen. Or, yeah. If you want to hear that, go to, uh, is it still up on, it, it's not on the website anymore. It's still, oh, okay. on, it's, it's still on, uh, on, on the Apple podcast. So where can you find it? So it's banned conversations. If you just look that up on Apple, either still. Yeah. So so. we did a few episodes on the sex abuse scandal. Um, But yeah. But yeah. So stuff like that. And I still defend the church because I still believe in what people like you and and people from St. Thomas High School, which I don't want to name them because I I don't know if they're okay with this stuff. But but the truth is, I I know people like y'all and I know that you're fighting the good fight. And I know that you're, you're, you're living your life to, to what you believe is correct. And, and I can do nothing but respect that. So I always defend the church and, and, 
you know, I always have a respect for its history mm-hmm. and everything it's gone through to get to this point. And clearly it's got a favor from Christ himself because of how, how large the church has become. Yeah. And how it's not been destroyed it, it, after exactly. all the mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, um, I, I always have that natural respect for the church, but I just don't think that going to that mass is necessarily what benefits me or what gets me closer to Christ. So while going through those emotions may find favor, may grant me favor with God, I don't feel closer to Christ as an individual. So why is that? Why did you not feel closer to Christ in that? Because I feel closest to Christ in uh, mass especially or mm-hmm. in adoration because um i believe that the eucharist is the body blood soul and divinity so i'm like i can't get it any closer to christ yeah. than him there and, and i understand that i guess for me it, it was more so the message and who it was coming from not anything against priests at all because i absolutely well. adore i absolutely <laughs> I, well yeah that's a good point i absolutely adore the priests that were at saint thomas and mm-hmm. i know you do too and there's a you know a, a lot of them are still there and some of them have gone already, but I didn't feel that I was getting a true message, uh, um, a personalized message from God through a person that hasn't lived a life even nearly identical to mine. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think that I, I had issue with that. And, and then, the, you know, I did have issues with the, some of the, I don't know, political underlayings of the church. That, well, that and you know I we, agree with you yeah, on that. we've we've <laughs> exactly so we've had these talks uh, you know off the podcast but uh, and I think stuff like that did kind of push me away and it not not so much push me away but open my eyes to thinking there's something else out there that could mm-hmm. be more beneficial to me so really I, I, I would chalk it up to saying that like when I went to mass I, I went and I felt as if it was designed for me to go through the motions it was and, banal yeah exactly yeah. It, it was a it was a a mold for yeah. me to fit into mm-hmm. and, and it didn't feel like me and it didn't feel like I was really getting to know God or getting to know Christ because I felt like I was doing as what I was What was told. mass like where you went to church? Cause, um, I've been talking about this a lot recently. The masses, especially a lot of churches just do mass in such a way that it's just banal. It's terrible. They have the priests making jokes on the altar and mm-hmm. it's just not any good. Music's terrible. What was mass like at your church? Well, that's absolutely true. The, I, I don't know. I do have, um, I did get bored with the lack of yeah. charisma w- w- when it comes to music or when it comes to the conversation from, from with a priest. Um, and it really did feel like I, w- I would show up and it was just going through motions. Like mm-hmm. that's really what it felt like. I never really felt like I came out knowing something that I couldn't have found out on my own. Right. So, and I don't know if that's how it's intended to be. No, but, but I, I mean, I, w- I would show up. I mean, you hear a couple of scripture readings and they tell you what you could have found in the footnotes of a study Bible. Yeah, that's about right. And, and that was never something that appealed to me and it never felt right. Yeah. And, and I don't know if, if that's not the way it's supposed to be, then no, it's not point me in the direction <laughs> of a Catholic church that will do it better. You but- should come. Uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll invite you right now at 8 a.m. Annunciation. I serve mass there. Uh, be more than happy. Come to the, my uh, church right. with me. It's once not in Spanish, right? No, it's in, okay. it's actually in uh, Latin. Oh, it's, it's, it's the uh, Trinitine rite of the mass. All it's right. the way the mass has been done since like throughout all of church history until like 1969, I think is when they changed it to vernacular. All um, right. Well, but 
I don't know Latin, but it's okay. <laughs> Nobody there knows Latin except the priest. Um, and so it, we'll talk off the air. About okay. It. But yeah. Yeah. So, but, but that, that was the thing for me is that, that it wasn't ever, it wasn't ever eye opening. It didn't ever feel like I was doing anything more than just showing up and going through the motions. And, and I think when that's the majority of the experience, it translates to communion at the Catholic church. Yeah. Because if I feel like we're going through the motions, if I feel like I personally am going through the motions, right. then why should I feel like the priests are doing anything different? Absolutely. So I agree with that completely. And, and that's where I really struggled. And I think that's where I really hit that point. Um, leaving St. Thomas, I said, you know, I, I've gone to mass every single day for the past two years, you know, except the, starting the second, uh, right. Cause you were a daily mass goer, right? Right. right. Yeah. After my first semester of freshman year, I, I went almost every day. Um, yeah, you went to mass more than I did. Right. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah. my, my freshman year and sophomore year. And I think I hit that point where I was like, man, I've heard the same thing over and over almost and every over day. Again. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, whenever I left there and I met my fiance, uh, you know, two years ago, uh, and we started looking at different churches and stuff like that. And it was kind of, you hit something that really does feel like I'm going here and I'm getting punched in the face with Jesus. And mm. it's great mm-hmm. because you actually feel like you're hearing something you never heard before. Yep. And, and I think that was kind of, well, let's try this again and see if it happens. And it was just continuous. Every time I went, I was hearing something I've never yeah. heard before. Yep. I understand exactly what you mean. I think, uh, so this is, this is the problem and I get where you're coming from. The churches today, a lot of the churches, and I don't want to name any specifically cause I don't want to call out anyone uh, right now, but <laughs> right now we'll see what happens in the future. But growing up, the churches I'd go to were so, it was so banal. The, the uh, homilies were banal. They would talk about like, Oh, in the gospel today, Jesus says you need to be nice to your parents and you need to listen to your mom and dad and be a good person. And I'm like, okay, but give me something, give me something more. Call me to action. Right. Um, and the same thing with everything about, the mass we'd have a what, what made the priest so different whenever you have a, a team of regular people coming onto the altar and distributing communion what makes it any different um so yeah the the way we have changed the mass has changed the way that we look at the mass and the way that and i and i get it it's kind of like what makes this any different from everywhere else and it's not really mm-hmm. the way that we, most places treat mass. Right. And so, yeah. And, and, and another thing for me, it was going going to a non-denominational church with the pastor that has lived a life probably pretty similar to mine. Not, he's, he's probably been a better life than mine uh, in sense of his faith in Christianity and, and such, but still to know that they've, you know, they have a family to know that they went to school in a different way than a, a priest would or, or whatever. Um, I think hearing them talk about their faith strengthens me in mine mm. because which, and, and I know you can still get the same thing out of the Catholic church. You're just not going to hear it from a priest. You're going to hear it from a, a, a study group or, right. or something like that. But I think being able to go to a church where the pastor uh, has a background a lot more similar to mine uh, help me find my relationship with Christ. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And yeah, the right now there's a huge argument in the church about, um, allowing priests to get married and that moving towards that direction. 
and I'm a hundred percent against it as uh, you could probably <laughs> yeah, guess. I would, I would guess. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and the, and the reason is because, uh, Paul writes in his letters that he wishes that all people could be like him and that people, uh, and meaning that celibate and he, uh, but he said, I understand that not everybody can and not everybody is called to that life. But, um, and then so that he has that, the idea that people who are ordained ministers should be celibate and should uh, dedicate their lives to the church because a man can't be loyal to two masters. And so it's difficult. And so there is a church, Our Lady of Walsingham in Houston. It's the uh, cathedral for the personal ordinary at the chair of St. Peter, which is a uh, Catholic group that are a home for former Anglicans who are coming into the church. Mm-hmm. So Anglicans, Episcopalians, Methodists who are leaving their church and want something similar in the Catholic church, but with the dogma of the church and with the Eucharist in the church. And so they have this. And so there, a lot of the priests are married because they made exceptions for those priests who were ministers in the Episcopalian and um, mm-hmm. Anglican church who are already married. And so they allowed them to have it. And they all say, yeah, you, you married priest is not, not the way to go. And so they know that, uh, they know the same thing as well. And so I think it's interesting. And, um, I think there is a place for people who are married Mm -hmm. to have a role in the church and to have, uh, and have their voice heard. Uh, but I think it's a distinct between the role of, uh, a minister because they should be dedicating their lives uh, to the church and only to the church. And so, um, so I get what you mean and I get how that helps the relation, but yeah, that that's just what I, that's what I was right. saying. So for me, I would never, I would, I'm not going to say I would never, I would find it probably pretty difficult to go to a church where the pastor or minister wasn't married or didn't have a family because I think that's what helps me hear a message from them or, or hear a message from God through them because they're giving it based off their personal experiences and stuff like that. Um, but I would never say that the Catholic church, if you want to, you know, boost up your mass numbers, your mass <laughs> attendance and start letting priests get married. I would never suggest that. Yeah. Um, now whether it happens or not to me, I don't think it affects my ability to be saved or my ability to worship <laughs> God or my ability to have a relationship with Christ. Uh, I don't think it affects me almost at all. Mm-hmm. So would I fight against it? No. Would I complain about it if it happened? No. Would I, sign my name on a petition for it to happen? Probably not. I mean, yeah. to me, I, I'm almost indifferent. I think that's probably most people. Yeah. yeah. So, and then, yeah, I'm like, uh, I'm on the other side. I'm like, no, can't do it. <laughs> no, uh, val- uh, against the teaching of the church for yeah. a long time. Uh, but you know, it, most of the apostles were married. So, but yeah. Um, yeah, that's a interesting discussion for a different time. Yeah. But absolutely. yeah, the, uh, but yeah, so, um, the, and so whenever you are, so at your church, what is it that you like? What what can the Catholic Church learn from uh, what you are where you're going to church now? Um, I mean, it would be a few things. Uh, one one thing that I never really found in any Catholic church that I've attended mass at, visited, or tried to frequent even, um, yeah, I find a strong support group, um, meaning that with the church I'm at right now, granted it's it's much larger than one single, you know, Catholic churches or, or, or parish or whatever. Um, there's so many options to meet and connect with people that can help or support you or go through things, uh, that you're also going through. Cause right now, I mean, if I go Google Catholic student group near me, um, 
bunch. Yeah, there's not that many. There's not that many, mm. but you're going to find them everywhere. If you look just through my church alone, mm-hmm. but if you look at, you know, student study group, student Bible group or whatever, mm-hmm. you're going to find a lot more stuff. Um, and I think that's something that would kind of benefit the church, uh, you know, probably more than just kind of, it would yeah, really it would help probably, yeah, be, be, yeah. because, you know, mm-hmm. I didn't find that. I didn't find anyone to talk to. I didn't find anyone to really relate to and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And especially in high school, whenever those are your most formative years. And I believe that, you know, now looking back and I really hope that those kids in high school right now realize that what you're going through, the decision do you make there, even though they may not directly impact your life, they're going to impact your psychology. They're going to impact your mentality on things. I needed mentors then. I needed adults that, you know, weren't overly Catholic that it was making me feel bad or, or, I'm not going to say overly Catholic because you're overly <laughs> Catholic, but, but in a great way. And you've never made me feel bad about who I am, but there's definitely some people that take it to extremes and, and kind of shame you yeah. in, in a sense. Mm-hmm. And, and I felt like I got that in high school. So I didn't even choose to talk to them and being at a Catholic high school, it left me with almost no one to talk to. And, and so stuff like that, I, I think it is a big deal. Um, you know, I agree with you. I think that that is something that we can learn. And I've actually thought about this a lot recently, how there's so much that we need to, uh, gain from, uh, the church today, from a lot of the Protestant churches, especially regarding, uh, study groups like that, because we don't do that. And I don't mm-hmm. know why we don't. And it's something that we could do. There's so many, uh, lay people out there that can take that jobs. And even priests, I think should, uh, make time for this and let someone else do a lot of the administration work and the, because the priest's job is the sacraments first right. and foremost, and then uh, preaching the word of God outside of the sacraments. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I agree with you 100%. That is something we are severely lacking in. Um, and in regards to what you're saying about uh, people who are extremely Catholic, um, I would uh, make a slighted distinction. I would say <laughs> that radical Catholics uh, are the Catholics like Mother Teresa, mm. those are radical Catholics, people who are going to drop everything and go and feed the poorest of the poor and going to, and she said that the reason why she'd go and feed the poorest of the poor is because she said, I, they can't even start thinking about um, the Catholic faith. They can't even start thinking about mm. salvation if all they're worrying about is where am I going to eat tomorrow and where are I going to eat today? Where am I going to sleep tonight? If that's what they're worrying about, they're not going to think about salvation. They're right. not thinking about the end of their lives. Um, their end of their lives is right now. And so, yeah, so that's that is what I think is a radical Catholic, someone who's willing to drop everything and mm. save someone's uh, both their corporal works of mercy, their uh, what feeding the hungry and sheltering the homeless, but also the spiritual works of mercy of bringing them home to the church. Um, and that's what a radical Catholic is. I think it's more the uh, some of the I don't know, I don't even know how to how would I would describe them as people yeah. who uh, you're describing. But yeah, fake I, Catholics, I, yeah, I fake know. Catholics. I don't, I don't know, know what else you call them yeah. because it's just. It's not according to the teaching and stuff. And, Revelations, and lukewarm. Right. Yeah. One. You're just, you're pushing people away more than you're helping. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, no, I think that, and then the second thing that I really think would help out, uh, the Catholic church is just, I feel like there's a lack of charisma. And while that may not be inherently necessary to run a good church or to have a strong church, that's how you get people to dive in. And I think, you know, at my church, you have worship um, and it, it's amazing. I, I've never, I never even came close to experiencing anything like that in a Catholic church, showing up and, and listening to songs about God. And, you know, while they may not be hymns or anything from a Bible, you're, 
you're actually praying to God through through music, and and I don't think like that's ever happened to me in church in a Catholic church, excuse me. And so I think showing up and getting into that mindset before hearing the message or hearing uh, scripture or whatever kind of kind of helped me stay with it and help me keep going and help me dive into to my relationship with Christ. It's interesting you'd say that because I just finished recording an episode with my friend Max on uh, the topic of music and church. And um, we were talking about how a lot of times the, the music that we play as an intro for uh, at Catholic churches is banal and mm-hmm. has in just, it's, it's just like happy clappy music. And, but the, the music that is set, in the books of what we're supposed to sing is scripture that's supposed to prepare you for the mass. And the words are, are you are the words that are used um, in order to, it's usually a Psalm or something along those lines mm-hmm. um, or just a Psalm that's changed a little bit to fit the, what we're uh, talking about. And so um, and that's the kind of music that is supposed to be sang during mass. And then in terms of like worship, like worship music um, and I'm assuming you mean like praise and worship right, that right. kind of thing. Yeah. And so that I would say, uh, is not suitable for the mass, but is suitable for praise and worship. Mm-hmm. And so um, I think that it would be beneficial to have like that kind of thing going on at churches. Um, as long as it's not in the mass, I think those sure, are dis- right. distinct things. But, yeah. And I wouldn't even say it's been in the service at, at my church, but it definitely, you show up there and that's the first thing you hear. You hear that and then you settle down a little bit and then you hear, you hear a message, you hear scripture and you get to talk about it. Um, I would say that that would probably be the better way to handle it at a Catholic church as well. Interesting. Because I, you know, I'd show up to Catholic church on, at 8 a.m. on a Sunday, still half asleep, haven't combed my hair yet, and I'm just <laughs> exhausted. And nothing prepares you to hear boring priest talk on a stage for an hour. So <laughs> I think that, I mean, it was something I struggled with for yeah, sure. Definitely. Uh, we have a problem with uh, a boring priest. And I think I, I would agree. <laughs> I would agree. I would agree with that one. Uh, a lot of the priests I know, um, God bless them. Wonderful <laughs> priest, um, but not the most entertaining mm-hmm. uh, person. Of course, a mass isn't for entertainment. It's for right, worship, but, um, but it would have got to be able to listen to them talk. <laughs> it wouldn't hurt. You still got to listen um, to them talk. Yeah. So. The, so yeah, yeah, I agree with that though. The, if you ever get to go to a parish where you have like a Dominican friar or some of the other, uh, preaching orders of the, mm-hmm. uh, those guys are awesome preachers. Uh, obviously the Dominicans, their whole mission is their, uh, OP meaning order of preachers. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the whole job is preaching. And so the, oh. uh, so you have other orders that are similar like that. Um, those guys give amazing homilies. <laughs> um, but yeah, a lot of priests, uh, aren't actually that, that good at, uh, giving, uh, about preaching. And also I just found this out. My friend Max just told me, and if you're listening to this one, you probably already heard his, mm-hmm. but his, uh, he was talking about, he said that it used to be a rule. If you could not sing that you could not be a priest because you had to sing the parts of the mass, <laughs> like chant the parts of the mass, right. like the Lord be with you. Like all those things. <laughs> if you couldn't carry a tone and it ha- hit the notes, then, uh, you, then you were not allowed to be, be ordained. <laughs> I was like, what? That's crazy. Well, I mean, you gotta have standards somewhere, right? I know, right? <laughs> you gotta have standards. So, I was like, that's hilarious. I mean, but but it it really does. It, it seems funny thinking about it at at that point, or as far as singing and stuff like that. But the idea that there's nothing really to excite you during the mass that you're supposed to leave it all up to 
the scripture itself, which, you know, there, an argument can be made that scripture should be exciting, that scripture should be, <laughs> you know, firing you up. But the truth is, that's probably not the case for the majority of people, mm-hmm. or at least not for someone who walks into the church for the very first time. Mm-hmm. And if someone's not excited the very first time they walk in, the chances of them ever walking back in again, I guarantee you. Drop exponentially. significantly, yes. So I I think that's important is to kind of just get people excited about it, warm them up and and get them ready. And I think that's been one of the main reasons why I continue to go back to my church because I get fired up for Jesus before I hear scripture and before I hear a message from God. Mm. Yeah, I think that is uh, pretty common. Um, and I I think that was actually probably part of the problem uh, that the Catholic Church was going through for a while was we were trying really, really hard to be as entertaining and uh, emotionally riveting as a lot of the Protestant churches do, mm-hmm. because uh, for all the flaws of the Protestant church, and I have a lot of complaints <laughs> with it, uh, one of them is not being entertaining and mm-hmm. uh, being uh, and raising the emotions. Um, but the problem was uh, the Catholic church was like, oh, we need to do that um, so we can bring people in too. But we are not nearly as good at it as the Protestants mm-hmm. are. Um, and so I think that it's in us trying to be really, really cool that we become really, really uncool. Oh, absolutely. I absolutely agree with that. So, I mean, that's just something that's going to be a multi-generational change that has to take place, you know, starting with us and starting with, you know, our kids one day, uh, that these changes, if we truly believe they're the right things, that that's where it starts. Mm -hmm. Because, I mean, you said something just now that, that, you know, the Protestant church is really good at raising emotions. Well, the truth is, and I mean, I don't know if you ever listened to Jordan Peterson talks or read any of his books, you know, he points out that, you know, people try and downplay emotions because they say, well, they're not real. Think logically, stay focused on this and you'll be happy. But the truth is emotions are just as real as logic. Oh, of course. So to say that you can't raise people's emotions about something, you've lost half of the battle. You've lost 50% uh, of your attempt to bring them into the church. So I think that's, you know, it's almost imperative that that change is made Mm -hmm. in in my eyes. And I don't know about yours because you're more involved. I would would agree uh, with the idea that it definitely needs to have an emotional element. Uh, Then we could talk about how to implement that idea. That that would probably be where we would disagree. Mm -hmm. But I would agree with that point. And I mean, you look at the lives of the saints. All the saints were very emotional right. people. Like I was just saying, St. Dominic would weep every night mm-hmm. over uh, what he would, he was uh, crying over what would become of poor sinners. And same thing with all the saints. The saints would weep in front of this blessed sacrament. They would, uh, uh, some of the saints, they would fall into ecstasy. Like mm-hmm. uh, St. Joseph Cupertino. This is like one of my favorite saints because he's the only reason why I'm passing university. He's a patron <laughs> saint of test takers. And so they say that the reason why is because he had to take an exam to become a priest mm-hmm. and he he was not a very smart guy at all. He was like really, really dumb actually. <laughs> and he was like, God, please. I, I don't know any of the answers. Help me out. So he went to go take the exam and the priest that was giving him the exam decided to ask him only one question. And the one question he asked him was the only question he knew the answer to. And so now he's a patron saint of test takers. Um, but every time people would even mention the name of Jesus or mm-hmm. mention the name of our lady or anything like that, 
he would fall into ecstasy and he would start levitating. And so they had to get, they got to the point where they had to tie a rope around his leg because they, uh, every time that he would, they would be doing anything mm-hmm. religious, he would start <laughs> going to ecstasy and start levitating. And there's actually a movie called, I think it's like the flying friar. Mm-hmm. And that, that was based off of his life. Um, it's so funny, but yeah, the, it, the saints were extremely emotional people. So there right. is a deeply mm-hmm. emotional element and Jesus was emotional. Sure. Look at him, um, throughout the gospels, anger, throwing mm-hmm. over tables, um, crying at the agony and garden crying over our own sins me and you um and he was a very emotional person so yeah yeah i agree so with that that i think that would be the two things that i would say the the catholic church should really at least ponder on and and try and see if they can make adjustments to because i mean i tell you I, I went to catholic church you know like i said all my life pretty much until my sophomore almost junior year of high school and it when I started going to a non-denominational church, I don't know. The only way I can explain it is I would go to Catholic church. I would sit in mass and, you know, on Sunday, the only thing I could think about is getting out to go eat. Yeah. And and Mm -hmm. so now going to church at a non-denominational church, I get there, I stand up and we we start worship and I lose track of time. Mm -hmm. I I don't care how long the message is. I don't, you know, care about anything else other than being in that moment Mm -hmm. and and realizing I'm in the presence of God. So I think that in and of itself was enough for me to say like, you know, this is where I want to continue going as opposed to continue going to the Catholic church. Not that Mm -hmm. it it was necessarily a hard, no, I'm never going to the Catholic church again. It was more so saying, this is something that I feel better about. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think it was those two things, uh, that that really kept me mm-hmm. there. So, so what do you uh, say could the, the non-dominant church that you go to or just non-dominant or Protestant in general, mm-hmm. what could they learn from the Catholic church? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, man, that is really tough. I don't know, man, that is, <laughs> that's hard to say because like I said, I really do feel like they're connected. I, I really do feel like an, an, a natural connection between a non-denominational or Protestant to the Catholic Church. While you may not see that and you might see them as separated and stuff, I don't see it that way. And, and, and I don't know if that's like factually it's just incorrect. It might be. And, and you would probably say it is. But to me, spiritually, I don't feel a vast difference. I feel a different system of messaging. Mm. I essentially feel like we go to the same church. We just hear the message in a different speaker. Interesting. You know? mm-hmm. and, and so to say that I would really s- say we need to pull things from the Catholic church. Uh, I, I really couldn't say because spiritually I feel like we are the Catholic church. I would say the Catholic church would need to learn from us because that's what I like. Mm-hmm. You know, so if if I like that, and I know clearly by the growth of non-denominational churches that a large amount of people like that, that if, you know, the Catholic Church wants to bring more people in, I mean, not model it identically to that, but make some changes along the way. Does that make sense? Yeah, I see what you mean. I mean, obviously I disagree. But, right, absolutely. But yeah, yeah, I see, I, what you I mean. I see where you're coming from. Um, but the, yeah, and um, I think it's interesting thing to to think about um because i mean i guess you don't hear too much about like doctrines that are taught mm-hmm. at non-dominational churches that are different from catholic churches really yeah i mean 
we really don't. It's not like we're going there and getting very deep into, uh, you know, a a doctrine, like you say, Mm -hmm. or we're not debating on on things that have been mentioned in the Catholic Church Mm -hmm. or uh, from the Pope or anything like that. Those aren't conversations that we have, which, you know, if anything, that might be something that needs to be brought up more, more uh, assertiveness about our actual beliefs, Mm -hmm. because I have found that that I go to church with a lot of very diverse people and that I can walk outside of the same mass and have interpret it completely different, which mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. not wrong, but it's wrong whenever our beliefs are not know, clear. N- well, not so much not clear, but whenever I walk out of church with people that were also sitting right next to me and we heard a message that's exactly the same and we come out with different beliefs, mm-hmm. not just mm-hmm. a different interpretation of that message, but a different idea of how to play that out, a different idea of what it really even means. Mm-hmm. So that, that right there is a good point. If we're going to, you know, learn anything from the Catholic church is that, you know, we probably do need to be more assertive in what we actually believe, mm-hmm. you know, I think that's why, you know, we just had this abortion conversation yeah. right before we started this. That's why you can go to a non-denominational church and half of them probably are okay with abortion or support abortion. Well, you know? half of Catholics support abortion, but the official <laughs> Catholic teaching yeah. is against abortion. So, but yeah. So, mm-hmm. but at least you have that argument to be made. If mm-hmm. you, if you have a conversation with the Catholic that says they're pro-choice, you have the conversation that can say, well, you're not, I mean, you're not in line with church. You're not in line with the church, but I can't have that conversation with anyone from mine. Uh, because we, we don't take a stance on that, uh, okay. you know, or, or at least I don't know what our stance is. Interesting. So um, see, that's the interesting about a non-dominational because I guess, I mean, you can't really have official teachings because mm-hmm. everyone is coming in without a denomination. Right. Versus like Lutherans, they are very mm-hmm. dogmatic. So are sure. Baptists, things like that. They have their teachings, but interesting. I never thought about it. Um, yeah. And, and so it, it, it's kind of a, a win lose situation because you have things like abortion and stuff like this, but then you don't focus on that. You focus on a very personalized message for you on, mm-hmm. and, and how to get closer to God. It's never so much uh, to the T um, kind of teaching, which like I said, it's a win lose thing. Mm-hmm. So, well, I want to um, finish up on saying uh, first, uh, how can people get in contact with you and oh, what yeah, are you up absolutely. to? So uh, I'm on Twitter mostly uh, at Falcon F A L C O N underscore Austin, just like the city. Um, I also have my website, bandconversations.com. That's mostly about politics and religion, sex, money, stuff like that, uh, which you're going to be writing for pretty right, soon. Yep. So um, they can catch you there as well. But those are probably the two best outlets right now. And um, what's your goal with that? With the website? With the, uh, Yeah, with your life and what you're oh. heading towards and uh, that. So, I mean, the website in, in general started with the idea that none of us were having these conversations a year ago. Mm -hmm. So you might've been having your individual conversations with friends or or peers of yours Mm -hmm. uh, about religion. And I was having them with peers of mine, but outside of this or outside of people, you know, where's this conversation being had? And so if you're only having them with people that you know, chances are your views aren't differing vastly enough for intellectual conversation to be had. So I started the website with the idea that we're just going to start talking about all these things that, people have not been talking about religion because it's off topic or you're not going to be talking about sex because it's, you know, it's a 
behind, icky. yeah, yeah, it's, it's icky. Yeah. It's behind closed doors. It's whatever you say, and, and you don't talk about money because you know if you talk too much about it, people get weird. You either have a lot of money, you don't have enough money, stuff like that. So that was kind of the reason I started that, and why I want you to write some articles for me and stuff just so we can have more voices out there and, and more conversation. Mm-hmm. But the goal is hopefully one day, uh, you know, I'm working on getting into law school right now. So hopefully one day I'm, I'm putting a lot of these ideas into practice, mm-hmm. whether that be, uh, from a policy standpoint or defending, defending these ideas or people's rights to have these ideas. Absolutely. That's awesome. Awesome goal. Um, very, very good. I, I think the one thing I like about your idea of band conversations and the reason why I'm a hundred percent supportive of it is because I think it's especially between like someone like me and you, mm-hmm. we hold a lot of the same base ideas. Uh, we have, we come from the same uh, worldview mm-hmm. and if from that point, we can have the most interesting conversations um, because we're not arguing over the about like the basic things right. where we, we can have discussions on the details on how to execute things mm-hmm. and things like that. And so um, I think that and then it's usually people who we just argue over people who completely disagree with Absolutely. us. And it's just like, oh, someone owned someone else. Mm-hmm. But really, whenever it's like talking to me and you between some certain things, like if we started arguing about economic policy, mm-hmm. we'd probably have very similar ideas. And but then when we get to the meat of it, we probably we disagree and there's no right or wrong answer right, absolutely because um, it's, all, it's all theory everything's right. theory to mm-hmm. be honest so and so yeah i think that's very interesting so i really like what you're doing there uh, and i hope uh all the best happens for you well, in that direction it. thank you and so uh please pray for austin and his uh and his what is going through uh through his life uh especially going to trying to get to law school <laughs> uh pray for him that he succeeds um and, uh, of course I'd like to, I would be, uh, amiss if I did not say that I would, uh, love to always invite you to, uh, come back home to the Catholic church. I know you well, said that you don't it, feel yeah. like you're are separated, yeah. um, but, uh, you're always welcome to come home to a uh, full community of the church and bring your fiance, bring everyone with you. Um, we're more than welcome to have you and we're more than happy to, um, because, the I do believe that the extra ecclesium no salus no salvation outside the church, mm-hmm. and so I do um, because of love of you and love of uh, my neighbor. I do want everyone to be saved, and so um, I do want to invite you home to the Catholic Church. Um, but yeah, well, so. I appreciate it, and that's something we will definitely pray on. Yeah. Oh, and I forgot to say, don't forget to like and subscribe to Catholic Conversations anywhere you listen to podcast. Give us a five-star rating and uh, put a review underneath to let people know that you like the podcast or what you think. And remember to send me any questions, comments, or concerns to FonsecaProduction at gmail.com. That's Fonseca, F-O-N-S-E-C-A, production at gmail.com. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, soapboxes, or negativities, I'd be happy to respond to you or even read your email on air uh, next time we're we uh, recording. And so... Um, yeah, so feel free to share this podcast with the people you think uh, might want to hear it or might need to hear it and people who or people who just would enjoy listening to it. And so, um, yes, yeah, so you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, Google Play, um, Spotify and anywhere that you listen to podcasts, we are available there. And so I want to close out. I close out every episode in a Hail Mary. So in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.
Oh, you'll